0: Hello! Have you heard about my completely free class that teaches you six evidence-based ways to avoid a c-section and reduce your tearing in labor by up to 50%? And remember, I mentioned it was completely free. This class is going to teach you how to advocate for your preferences in the birth room so that you can have a birth that's filled with joy and not birth trauma. Advocating for yourself starts with being empowered with the right information so that you can ask the right questions and confidently make decisions during labor based on what feels good to you and your baby. But here's the thing, the U.S. has one of the highest C-section rates in the world and it is ever climbing year after year. And it's not because the system is broken, albeit it is, but it's really because women don't have the tools to navigate that broken system. We may not be able to change the system before you have your baby, but what we can do is change how you operate within that system. Change the conversations that you're having with your providers. Change the places that you are getting your information to help you have informed conversation with your doctor before you have your baby. I wanna teach you how to do that. We know the reasons that our C-section rates are climbing. We know the reasons that inductions happen so often and we know the reasons that babies end up in the NICU. I wanna help you avoid all of that so that you can have a birth that you love. You can find my free class at thebirthlounge.com backslash C-section so that you can learn six evidence-based ways to avoid a C-section and reduce your tearing and labor Again, that is TheBirthLounge.com backslash c-section. See you there! Hey y'all and welcome back to another episode of The Birth Lounge Podcast. Alright guys, we have been talking all about ways that you can feed your baby and things that pop up along that journey and trials and tribulations you might experience, who you can turn to in those times of need, who can support you, tools that might make that easier, both things like your hands, but also tools that you can purchase. Last episode, we talked about being an exclusive pumper, which within that episode, we talked about some hardships that may arise for people who exclusively pump, one of those being mastitis, which is an infection, and inflamed part of your breast where milk actually kind of gets trapped and it can be, you know, benign and pretty easily taken care of, but it can also be very serious, it can turn serious really quickly. A lot of people who experience mastitis or who have mastitis are going to experience flu-like symptoms, so body aches and fatigue and fever and sometimes the shakes that come with it, a headache can also accompany it. You want to know what you're looking out for, but then the question is, well, now that I know that I have it, what do I do? Well, in the end of 2022, the mastitis protocol, so what IBCLCs and CLCs and other lactation and infant feeding professionals recommend in terms of what parents should do to remedy mastitis recently changed and so I wanted to have a conversation about specifically mastitis what you should know about the symptoms what you should know about how it's going to make you feel will it impact your milk supply will it impact your feeding journey is it safe to keep feeding your baby what do you do to resolve of mastitis how do you do that do you need to go see the doctor is it just a doctor's note are there over-the-counter remedies well I knew the perfect person to have on the show and it is my friend Lara proud who is behind the beyond the bump she's behind the account and the business beyond the bump which she started actually when she was on maternity leave with her son and she encountered a lot of Problems. She was super blown away, especially as a registered nurse, by the lack of resources when it came to prenatal care and classes, educational support, postpartum support, and breastfeeding support for new parents. And she didn't want other people to struggle like she did. So she founded Beyond the Bump. She loves to empower parents in their decisions surrounding all things birth and parenting to help them really feel prepared and supported along the way. I cannot wait for you to hear all of Lyra's really good information and education around mastitis. So grab your pens and your pencils and your notepads and your water bottles because hunker down, you're gonna wanna take notes because if you are planning to feed your baby from your breast anyway, whether that be pumping, combo feeding, or exclusively nursing, you might run into mastitis. And I want you to know what to look out for, what to do, and what professionals can help you. All right, without further ado, Lara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Mastitis is a topic that doesn't actually get a lot of light until you experience it. I feel like not a lot of people know about mastitis until they actually have it. And so I'm excited to get the word out. Also, uh, protocols for managing mastitis have recently changed. I want to talk about what that change is and are we seeing it be successful or are we seeing it be unsuccessful? What does that look like? But before we do all that, you're in Canada and I'm in the US and a lot of our listeners are, you know, abroad somewhere else. So today's topic is a general topic but what is said today we're going to try and keep it general as well but some things are going to be specific to the Canadian practice so make sure as you're tuning in you're listening for we'll we'll try and note like this is specific to Canada and I'll try and share what we do in the US as much as my knowledge holds but make sure that you're looking up specific protocols and things in your region of the world to know what is applicable to you, right? And Lara, do you see people beyond Canadians or do they need to live in Canada to receive services from you? For
1: services, I have an online course. It is specific to Canadians, not limited to, but very specific to our healthcare system for the prenatal course that I offer. But lactation services, because I'm a registered nurse, it is based off of jurisdiction. So you would have to be Canadian.
0: Perfect. Cool. All right. Just to get that disclaimer out of the way. All right. So I think let's start with the very basics of what is mastitis? Yeah. I mean,
1: honestly, and I think you nailed it already. Just, you know, you don't, get it until you get it. (laughs) When you do, you're like, I wish I did not understand. Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to be in this club. (laughs) No, no, it is no fun. And it's really crazy, honestly, because it comes seemingly out of nowhere for people. And it just feels like a train has hit you and you got the fever and the chills and the aches and your heart rates up and it was a big thing through our whole COVID pandemic, especially because people were like, Do I have COVID or do I have mastitis? And it was oh. really difficult without the other, you know, kind of sinus or cold symptoms. When that first initial fever hits you, you're not really sure which one it is. But mm-hmm. mastitis is basically one of two things it is overarchingly an inflammatory process that happens in breast tissue. But it could be either just an inflammation process or bacterial, which is very much something that I find is hard to get away from because everyone's like, oh my goodness, I have mastitis. I need antibiotics right now or I'm going to be done. And that we're finding is not so much the case, thankfully.
0: Okay, tell us the difference between bacterial and inflammation. How would you acquire the bacteria that cause that versus what causes just inflammation? That's the fun part is they don't
1: have concrete
0: information on that yeah. quite yet. There's a correlation
1: with nipple damage, but they're not actually saying like nipple damage causes that, you know, it's such an external thing. and the bacteria that ends up coming into the breast or being in the breast, it's, usually what they find is like, or what they're saying is the inflammation starts the process if left unchecked and it kind of continues then because of the inflammation and the stagnancy that can happen in the tissues and all that, then you can be at a higher risk of it developing into bacterial mastitis.
0: Yeah. Into an infection. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that not all mastitis needs antibiotics. Sometimes it's going to be addressing the inflammation. And I think that's kind of what the new protocols show in that, right? Okay, well before we dive into that, yeah. let's talk about what the signs and symptoms are of mastitis. How do you know if you have mastitis? So, right off the bat, I kind of had said it, but your
1: fever, your chills and pretty much inflammation, it's redness in usually a very specific area of the breast. So like In our first days postpartum, you get the engorgement. Sometimes you get like that shiny skin because it's so taut where everything is swollen, but it's on both sides and it's pretty even. This is a little bit different because it's usually pinpoint like one of the four quadrants and there's a hard red area that hurts. So it's pretty like in your face obvious for the most part it can start a little bit more mild and it can feel like a, I don't know, more like in a really sore, achy spot. Or some people think that when you get like a milk duct plug, <laughs> I always end up saying duck, but <laughs> milk duct plugs. Um, it's really interesting because like then, you know, some people's minds are like, oh my goodness, this is going to be mastitis. And then they start into all of what our old protocols said which is the total opposite of what we ideally should be doing to prevent it. So a lot of what the protocol says to do for treatment is actually a lot of preventative things that we can do to avoid it to begin with. But it is the fever, the aches, the chills, the feeling like a truck hit you when there is a sore red spot or a sore spot somewhere in your breast tissue.
0: What about being hot to the touch? A lot of our people who have experienced mastitis will say that spot is hot to the touch.
1: Totally. Yeah. And that kind of comes along with that redness. So I guess like the inflammation process that happens there, it does, it feels quite warm and like very differently warm than other parts of even the same breast would.
0: Okay. So once you kind of get the inkling that you have mastitis, what are Mm our first steps? What is the old protocol? Let's talk about what we used to do. Because it sounds like (laughs) that's what a lot of people still do. And then let's talk about what we should be doing instead and why. Totally. So
1: everybody hears it and I still, still see it all over the mom groups on Facebook and everything. Like the second that you get, Anything going on, just big amounts of massage, pump like crazy, have that baby feed on that breast, make sure that you're, you know, using a hot shower massage or like the vibrators or the breast massage tools or anything. And people are like digging into their breast tissue like crazy. I have had people show up at my office and they're like bruised like crazy and they're just, yeah, oh, it hurts so much. And we actually are doing kind of the polar opposite of what is helpful because there is so much, I mean, a breast is an organ, right? So just like if it was a kidney, just like if it was a bladder, just like it was anything else, we need to handle it with care and be fairly delicate. So I usually say like, no more pressure than what you would wash your face with Mm. if you are handling your breasts, because the chances of you increasing inflammation and how many like microscopic little ducts there are and the very intricate way that the breast tissue actually works and the hormone response and all the stuff there's so much to it and it's really easy to disrupt it especially if you know you're maybe a first-time parent this is your first time having to deal with making milk (laughs) it's like oh my goodness this is a totally new thing it's a new thing for your body and we have a tendency of like oh, there's something there. I'm going to squeeze that out. (laughs) There's no squeezing out milk blockages or ducts. And, you know, one of the kind of neat things that they talk about in the new protocol is that there is such a small chance of there actually being like one blocked duct Because it's such a massively inner working system and like there's so many connections and there's so many different tubes. It could be one little area that you might have a little bit of a backup in, but having that extra inflammation, like you're really working in and around all of these little tubes and the more inflammation in the tissue around it, the more you're actually going to block off. So you can Mm -hmm. increase your chance of mastitis by
0: doing all of the things that we used to do. (laughs) <laughs> or even making it worse, if you do have like the the first, the very first kind of onset symptoms and you do that, you're only exacerbating what's already there, just, you know, oh, kind yeah. of speeding up that process and or tipping you over into that category that now you do need antibiotics where otherwise you might would have been able to avoid them.
1: Exactly. That early intervention piece of it and even prevention is such a huge deal of being able to avoid it. I mean, Ideally, we under or address all of the underlying issues that we have anyway. We don't just treat surface level, right? Like that's kind of at least my theory on things. You know, I don't really want to treat what's going on in front of me. You want to prevent things from happening in the future. So it's a big deal to be able to say like, oh, okay, cool. I now understand that this is a totally different type of process. There's not like one block in there. There's one swollen little sack of milk that i have to get out it's an entire like intricate little network and there's just swelling in and around some tissue but it is usually pretty localized to like one spot but it can expand too and especially if it goes from that inflammation to like a bacterial infection that's where you start to get a lot of expanding through and it can go into abscesses and it can get into like your whole breast at that point so There's a lot of damage that can be done for sure.
0: Yeah, it's really important to have mastitis treated. It's not something you want to ignore or or assume that it will go away on its own. But what I'm hearing is just be very intentional with how you resolve it and make sure you're doing what your breasts are needed. Okay, so what is the new protocol?
1: It's pretty intense, but super easy. (laughs) So. of a little counterintuitive I guess in saying that but like the very first thing and I love that they put this is straight up just reassuring people that this is a normal process that can happen your anatomy is going to fluctuate some people are more prone to inflammation it actually even describes in one of the steps that if you have perinatal mood disorders that you are more likely to have exposure or increased risk of having mastitis so it's a really fascinating and very intricate way of looking at it because then we have to holistically look at our bodies right it's not just this is a breast this is the one thing we're going to treat like everything is connected so if your nervous system is in this constant fight or flight mode your cortisol levels are going to be higher your inflammation process is going to be higher right so it actually totally makes sense that having anxiety and depression would potentially increase your risk. So having the perinatal mood disorder can actually increase your risk of things like aversions to nursing, which makes you not actually want to nurse as often, or maybe you're pumping more and pumping in and of itself. I mean, goodness, people can be so adverse to pumps. I always say like, at one point with my son, my pump would start talking to me if I knew I was done. (laughs) It was awful. It is completely expected for you to have periods of engorgement. There's expected periods of you feeling more full than other times or having some areas of your breast be more full than other times. You know, even having your hand position, depending on where you're keeping your thumb, if you are cutting off certain ducts or putting pressure on certain ones and that area is having a harder time to drain, then it can actually increase your risk of having kind of some of that inflammation process or maybe it's not draining properly. So we do know that there are certain things that you can do. Having baby nursing appropriately can be a huge deal. So making sure that their mouth function is working, making sure they don't have any oral or re- like restrictions or ties or anything like that, that's a really, really big help. But when you notice that something is actually starting to happen, so maybe there's a spot that gets sore, maybe you're like, "Oh, I've got a blocked milk duct there," which we now know is not actually just a duct. The biggest thing that people do is like, oh, "I'm gonna empty that out. I'm just gonna work at it until I get it out." And everybody produces milk very different. Some people will actually see like globs of fat of milk coming out at certain points, but not everybody has that either. So what you want to try and avoid doing is overstimulating that breast, because if there's already inflammation there and those little teeny, teeny, tiny tubes are narrowed, you're not going to be able to force something through it. You're actually going to increase the amount of inflammation that you have there. So the more that you increase the amount that you're pumping, the higher your milk supply is, because our bodies are freaking brilliant and want to produce what our babies need. So if our body is being told, make more milk, we will make more milk. But the idea is don't empty it out. Don't continue to pump. Don't only feed off of that side because you're not allowing for that time for your body to kind of reset and reduce that inflammation. So when you have the option, just use the other side, use that one appropriately and like switch off, just nurse exactly as you usually would ideally you're avoiding pumps you're avoiding nipple shields and your baby is nursing now if that's not the setup that you have and you're not actually nursing then you know they say there's no need to over sterilize parts because you're not going to catch bacterial mastitis still keep clean like proper hand hygiene and all that stuff still applies but you'd be doing that anyway so it's not any extra huge thing there was a thing going around about it being caused by yeast. That's not something that they're able to confirm and it's not something that they're saying is an issue. So it's not a matter of like sterilizing all of your parts all of the time or baby toys or anything like that. It's not quite the same thing as if you were dealing with thrush. There is a difference in that. But making sure that if you are pumping, your flange sizes are actually appropriately sized, which is A huge deal is something that I run across constantly. There is always issues with people like I got a pump in the mail as one of my baby shower presents recently, and it had a size 30.5 and a size 28 as the standard nipples that are standard flange sizes that it came with. I have met one person in my career at this point that had a size 24 millimeter <laughs> like nipple and she was super stinking swollen. Like,
0: oh, this is not how this is going to go. Oh my goodness. So why do you think they do that? Is that in order to make you buy additional flanges knowing that the most common size is much smaller than that? I wish it was, but like these companies
1: don't even offer smaller flange sizes that are appropriately fitting in a lot lot of cases. Like even some of the really big brands, you have to buy the aftermarket ones to fit the pumps. Like I have all these little inserts that we get from Amazon or pumps flanges from other companies, but man, there's like 24 millimeters is what they use for cows. Like we're not (laughs) freaking cows. (laughs)
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, what is the standard flange size that you kind of see? What's the, like, average? Well, that parts
1: come with. So, a lot of the big pumps or, like, the flanges will be sent. And, like, the smallest that you get in the packages are, like, 21 or 24 millimeters. But, I mean, honestly, one of the most common sizes I fit somebody for is a 13 or a 15 millimeter. Oh.
0: Like, way smaller
1: way way wow way, and they're smaller. sending
0: 30 they are sending double yes.
1: what like that's Can borderline offensive
0: okay what are you trying oh, to do no, it is our nipples
1: entire areola fits in that like come <laughs> on we don't need that we're not like oh it's just it's so oh. brutal but people will get pain and i see in the hospital they'll be in so much pain while they're pumping and they'll send them home with these size mm. like 28 and 30s hoping mm-hmm. that that's going to fix the pain but it doesn't and then we get in here do a proper flange fitting it's like oh size 13 hey look how much extra milk you're putting out plus it's super comfortable like it shouldn't hurt so it's a huge pet peeve of mine yeah. but if you're pumping and have this equipment you need to have something that is fitting your body properly. And that really does end up making a big difference. Because if you're increasing, you know, the amount of pain that you're having, pain can equal inflammation. And if you're mm-hmm. going to be pulling like the amount of suction that we use, and some people will go and like, you know what, I'm just going to crank my pump as high as I possibly can and put out as much milk as I possibly can because my setting's on the highest. Well, it actually is again, super counterintuitive. So looking at it from a mastitis perspective, you know, the smallest amount of suction while you're actually getting milk out is going to decrease the amount of inflammation that you get. So having a proper fitting flange and only using the suction that you need in a pump are really easy ways to be able to help decrease pain and inflammation and potential for like nipple damage and all kinds of stuff. So there's ways of making things comfortable. And just because it is comfortable doesn't mean it's not effective. And I feel like the pain Olympics kind of comes into play here. Like, well, if it's not hurting, it's not working, you know, oh my. I don't agree with that in the slightest. No. So.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. So we're not massaging. We're not pumping. We're just feeding baby as normal hand expression if you still feel full after feeding baby or no we should leave that milk as to not add to the inflammation it's a little bit tricky because it depends a bit on how early in your
1: journey you are as well because I mean ideally you're only taking out what you need to there's this thing called a feedback inhibitor of lactase and it's this they call it fill. So when you're full, you release fill. And when you're engorged, your body is actually releasing this thing that's like, Hey, stop making more milk. So the prolactin and oxytocin receptors are blocked. And so it will tell your body like "Mm, too much. Okay. We actually have to calm down versus the opposite. If we just keep pumping, it's actually saying like, Oh no, we need way more. So you want to try and minimize the extra that you're trying to make to try and reduce the amount of inflammation and hardness that you're getting so basically like as minimally to comfort if for some reason baby's not nursing super effectively but if you have mastitis or if you have that inflammation in there it's not going to be comfortable anyway so just like a sprained ankle we want to do the things that reduce inflammation NSAIDs so Advil or Naproxen or those kind of things, Tylenol, ice. Those are some of the best things you can do. We got the frozen cabbage leaves. If you want to whip those out, like they're fantastic for some people, but you can use ice every hour, like on the yeah. hour for about 15 minutes and just have that there. People's supplies will be really different coming out of mastitis in some ways. Some people will, depending on how they treat it, <laughs> They have either a lot more milk or they can notice a temporary dip. You can always get that back up by expressing again and having that, but your body will need a little bit of time to reset. So it's okay to use ice, it's okay to use Tylenol and Advil. Those are safe and they will actually help to decrease the inflammation. And sometimes just doing those things right off the bat is enough to prevent it from actually reaching the level of mastitis or. Definitely, ideally, to prevent it from going to that bacterial mastitis.
0: Yeah, okay. And in terms of that bacterial mastitis, if you do need antibiotics, that milk is safe to still go to your baby, even though it has antibiotics in it. Totally.
1: Yeah, so with the different lines of treatment, ideal situation is if you are still experiencing those kind of fever, chills, achy, red, swollen symptoms that that would come with mastitis. After 24 hours of ice, Tylenol, Advil, making sure that you're only pumping until you need to, having a really good supportive fitting bra is a big one, then you would be seen by a provider. And then, you know, potentially given antibiotics. So there's multiple different lines of treatment of it. Ideal situation is that the first one is going to work. So they're oral antibiotics. People don't necessarily need to instantly be hooked up to an IV. I worked in the ER for years and everyone would come in and it was just like, oh, they've got mastitis, get them on an IV antibiotic like yesterday. So that has changed hugely as well. And we know that using therapeutic ultrasound at like a physiotherapist's office or at a physician's office can actually help to decrease inflammation as well. So there are lots of different treatment options for it. With the bacterial they used to just almost like admit somebody and then do these like IV antibiotics around the clock type of thing to try and help prevent it. But oral antibiotics are actually a pretty good first line treatment. And they have an anti-inflammatory property in them as well. So even if it isn't bacterial mastitis, a lot of people who are just running right away to the doctor and getting these antibiotics are having the effect of it. So it looks like it's working, even if they didn't necessarily need it. It's not quite as common as what we thought. (laughs) I guess usually the inflammation process is much more along those lines. Now, if it's over 48 hours, ideally you're getting an actual culture to make sure, because if you're being treated with antibiotics and they're not working after about 24 hours to try and help decrease, you got to figure out which one's going to work. So I wish that cultures of mastitis were something that we did a lot more commonly. So you could actually know if that was the case or not, because, I mean, we overuse antibiotics in our society so much anyway. So it's would be ideal situation to try and keep everybody a little bit away from them preventing some of the resistance that happens but yeah avoid them if you can oh yeah absolutely yeah I mean they wreak havoc on your gut too right yeah it's not like they're benign and it's just an easy thing and especially for people who have recurrent mastitis and they're just Mm. treated constantly like that absolutely should not be the case like you should be getting a culture at that point because either it's not being fully treated or there's something else going on Usually there's an underlying issue that, you know, either there's an oversupply or maybe baby is not feeding properly. Or maybe I do see like a lot of the time people are just expressing like crazy and it's not allowing that supply
0: to regulate. So, yeah. Okay. So when we have antibiotics, it's good to follow them up with probiotics. It is. Yeah. But it's also actually recommended in the
1: protocol that Oh wow! Yeah, I know. Isn't that impressive? Yeah, I love to hear that. It's not saying that it's definitive. There's not like crazy strong evidence, but we know that there's a really good link with a lot of good stuff happening when there's probiotics, right? So it's the lactobacillus. There's two different strains of it. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because they're ridiculous, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is the lactobacillus strains of it, and it actually can potentially help as one of the steps of the treatment plan. So it's not even just in response to the antibiotics. It's to help with the inflammation process and what's going on in the breast tissue as well.
0: That is awesome. Okay, what about sunflower lecithin? We have a lot of people that ask about it. What's the data say about Mm -hmm. that?
1: It's a bit of a tough one because like most natural supplements, there's not a whole pile of like solid, solid data on it which doesn't happen a lot anyway. Um, Anecdotally, I do find that, especially if somebody is like prone to having plug ducts or blockages or something, I personally will recommend it, but I don't use it as like a treatment. Like you don't say, Mm. hey, go use this. It's like, here's a temporary solution while we get this figured out to figure out what is the underlying cause of these issues. Got it. So it just is enough to keep almost like the fat, from being too sticky and sticking mm-hmm. in there, mm-hmm. not that it's actually how it works, but you know what, it feels like that. <laughs> so yeah. One of the big things that does happen, and they actually mention it. I love this new protocol; like, it actually makes me so happy because they mention using it nice. for blebs. So oh. if you're getting like these little blebs or anything on it, and especially to not—they call it unroofing, but like basically yep. like taking the, the top back. off of them. I know. <laughs> ah. Same feeling. It's like nails on the chalkboard, the idea of that. But sometimes with, you know, either mastitis or if you have an inflammation process going on or like some nipple damage, people will like pick those things off. And then it's just a perfect little pathway to introduce extra bacteria, bacteria and issues there and all kinds of different things. So they do mention being able to use a sunflower lecithin for that exact reason to try and help prevent those little blebs from forming and making sure that if you do get them, you don't mess with them. Yeah. They will yeah. go away.
0: Yeah, those will self resolve where mastitis is unlikely to. Okay, you mentioned two proper fitting bras. What do we need to know about our nursing bras and tanks and pumping bras, and things like that? How is that going to contribute to mastitis?
1: Yeah, pumping bras are a big one. Honestly, wow. people will use them and they're so tight and they're mm-hmm. like just stuck in one position. So depending on, now this is just kind of coming from my practice, but like sometimes I see that people will just stick them on and depending on the type of pump, either the fully wearable ones, a lot of those ones do not have proper fitting flanges and they're hard to fit. But even if you had like the flanges that stick out through the bra and then attach to your pump it basically, it doesn't allow for as much easy drainage. So if you are exclusively pumping or if you're pumping to be able to kind of get baby that bottle, making sure that you're using like very gentle, which is the key, but hands on pumping techniques. So moving that flange around, not just like stick it in your bra, let it go, because there is, pressure that's going to be put on by different parts of the pump and you want to be able to just like baby like they don't stay perfectly still for an entire feed they use their hands like a little kitten to be able to knead the areas and all that stuff you do want to be able to use a little bit more of a hands-on technique to free up some of the areas that might get a little bit more blocked off by having too much pressure from the way that the pump's sitting otherwise I know a lot of people really struggle if they start to wear underwire bra when they're nursing because it just it does the same thing it keeps that really tight pressure up against the chest wall but you know having a good fitting supportive bra when you're having a mastitis situation a lot of people are like wear a really really tight bra it's that same idea that they used to say when you're trying to dry up your milk wear a really tight fitting bra don't recommend that now because again, it increases your inflammation. So using lymphatic drainage is a really nice one as well. So really gentle, like strokes up towards the armpit from the breast. It can help to decrease the inflammation and move around a lot more of the fluid, but sometimes that can be restricted if you're wearing way too tight of a bra. So you just want something that fits really well, is comfy. Use that hands-on pumping.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't think I have any other questions. We've talked about Tylenol and NSAIDs and heat versus cold and old protocol versus new protocol, things that increase a risk of having mastitis and things that can help mitigate those risks what the treatments are, antibiotics, how that impacts your nursing relationship, your breast milk supply is it safe for your baby? Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to leave us with? I
1: think the only other thing that I can think of right off the top of my head is that a lot of people will use those like silicone pumps and put Mm -hmm. Epsom salts or salts Mm -hmm. in it And then have it on there and, like, really try and pull it out with that. Now, I know there's all kinds of videos. You can see some crazy stuff coming out of, like, big fat globules that are stringy and all kinds of things. So it's super tempting to do. But what they find is it actually is, like, macerating the nipple tissue by having it in these salt soaks. So Mm. it those and, like, castor oil packs and things, like, you're not wanting to involve heat. You don't want to add this extra stuff in. You really want to stick more toward the cold side of things. So that would just, I think, be another common thing that I see
0: or hear especially. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And look, just because something's anecdotal doesn't mean it's misinformation. It just may mean that it's not the best option right there's there's best there's good there's okay and then there's bad and so we want to make sure that if you have access to the best that you're getting the best and so just be sure what you're picking up from friends and families from mommy groups from social media from you know instagram and tiktok make sure that you are actually doing something that's evidence-based and also that's right for your situation everyone has all sorts of individual factors that play into things so make sure you're working with a professional someone who has lactation training in the u.s or i guess everywhere it's the ibclcs you have lactation counselors some dual have lactation training some pediatricians have lactation training lactation in general is something that people usually have to seek out especially so just make sure that whoever you're working with does have kind of deeper than just base lactation knowledge you're going to want someone who really understands mastitis when when you get for this all right Lara, this has been amazing, so comprehensive, and also taken a topic that I think, again, we just don't talk about. And so you really don't know about mastitis until you're in it. And by the time you're in it, you're like, shit, I have this like huge lump. It's hurting. I feel like shit I've been hit by a bus I'm supposed to take care of this baby and I'm miserable give me the quickest thing and the quickest thing is not always the best so thank you so so much for being here today for sharing your time with me if people wanted to learn from you and were interested in the course or if there are any Canadian listeners that want to look into your services how do people connect with you on social media and then also for private services
1: for sure. So I'm at Beyond the Bump Education. And that is across pretty much social media. So I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, Beyond the Bump is my website. And I'm around should anybody <laughs> want to reach out. I'm happy to chat about things. And yeah, I am so grateful that you had me on here today. This was awesome. I know it was like, really clinical, which usually is not like this type of conversation style, but I love it because it's like here's what it is and like usually I'm just way more chill about stuff than like this is the right info <laughs> we finally got got a platform to get it out there. So you know, I love it and I think it will hopefully help somebody who is listening to be able to prevent doing some extra damage that doesn't need to be done and get rid of this way way sooner than later.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's so encouraging to me to hear that the new protocol was better, made things better. It it hit the nail on the head, it sounds like. And that just, that thrills me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It has been a blast to hang out with you all. As always, I love hanging out with you guys and talking about topics that we don't get to talk about. I will see you next episode, but until then, make sure that you head over to Instagram and connect with me at Tranquility by Hee or at The Birth Lounge, which is at the.birth.lounge and send me a DM. Tell me you listened to the show. Drop a little emoji. Drop a cute little bump pic. I want to celebrate you where you are in your pregnancy. All right, you guys. Until next time, toodaloo.